Everybody, it's episode number 33 of Pooch and Rebold. I'm Ken Pooch Van Druten, and that is this is right here. This is Chris Raybold. All around you, this is Chris Raybold. Omnipresent. <laughs> Omnipresence of Chris Raybold coming to you live from Athens, Georgia. Ladies and That's gentlemen, it, baby. today's topic that I think that we should uh, maybe bring up is you and I um, kind of have different paths we take in our kits of what we bring out on the road um, as far as choices. Um, we both use the same console, but outside of that, we kind of go in different directions. And I thought that um, people might be interested in hearing why we've made those choices. Mm -hmm. um, so... I don't know. Why don't you start us off? Think about, um, you know, we, especially in outboard gear, we're different, right? Like mm -hmm. you choose mm -hmm. uh, a fair amount of analog outboard gear, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's what you mean. Or it's really <clears throat> any of our external processing. Yeah. We, we typically, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's funny. I use, and you're right. And people think it's kind of a misnomer though, because people think, that pooch is wholly in the box when That's you have <laughs> analog I do in your on your output, your yeah. final stage yeah. output. Yep. And then you've got a couple, you know, I know you know you've got some reverbs and stuff like that. And then yeah. people think of me going, so I don't know what people think of me, but they know that I use hardware, but I use a shit ton of plugins too. You know what I'm saying? Well I think I so. think the um I think what people see are that, you know, like I've seen your touring kit and like you have a drawer of analog stuff that you, you're carrying yeah. around, right? Yeah. Um, and everyone's oh, yeah to the rack, right? Right. What, he, what he's talking about there is I have in my work box, yeah. I have yeah. like one of the drawers you open up, there are rack rails in it and there's just like extra <clears throat> analog pieces from my past that I'll just pull out and insert at, the, at a, a certain time. So I think that um, people see that and that's different than what a lot mm -hmm. of people do nowadays, myself included, you know, it's like any sort of dynamic processing it for me is in the box. Like I'm not carrying around any of those kind of units. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's why the, I just want to point out that's why the perception of that yeah. is. And it's true. I mean, I've had a big rack <clears throat> sitting next to me in the digital era for a long time now. And it's funny, I look at it and it keeps getting smaller and smaller. Um, and, and I'm cool with that. And I think there's something to, that says something that's just like, as my work, my workflow is sort of morphing a little bit, or I'm, I'm feeling more confident. There are more offerings available to us plug-in wise that I feel can get me there, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm okay to pare down. I mean, now I'll look at my rack and like, I'm just like, God, this is so weak. There's nothing in there, you know, or I get, I'm tired. It's so funny. I'm tired of looking at the same pieces, but I joke about that often. You know, it's like, it's almost like being in a, in a long-term relationship. Like you, you're just looking at the thing that bugs you and you forget about all the wonderfulness that it, that it actually brings to you. So, you know, as far as how I got there, um, you know, for me at least, um, and I'd be curious to hear at what point you just went, all right, I'm out. It's all plugins. But uh, when we, and I think I've mentioned this on here, the first digital desk I ever took out, which was the D5, Digico D5 in 2005. I mean, I even had like Drummer DS201 gates. I did because too. I couldn't. And I, that was one of the first digital desks I took out as well. And I had, I had a huge side. You had all the stuff. Yeah, it was hard to get rid of that stuff. And just the visual, like I just couldn't imagine not knowing if a, something was open or whatever or too much, you know? Um, so I stuck with that for a little while for Digico, but then when I went to venue, which wasn't much later, I guess that was 2006. I was only on Digico for about a year. I did go all in the box and I yep. stayed that way for about a year. And then I just started getting interested, man. I started really, you know, because I was using at that time, I, I was using all the standard, a lot of DBX 160Xs, a lot of drama, uh, BSS, 
Apex, nothing super fancy. Summit was as fancy as I would get, you know, the DCL 200s on vocals or guitar or whatever it might be. And then I had a systems guy one time who like, he brought out a, uh, uh, that the Neve 33609 for the stereo bus. But that's when I was super young. I mean, there's like someone telling like, here, use this. I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, you oh, know, I can't okay. imagine someone. Yeah. Right. You know? Um, uh, but I really wasn't into anything outside of just kind of what was standard high end fare for the live world. So around the mid two thousands though, I really started getting interested in some of these new kind of just different stuff. And like the API 2500 have been around for a few years. I really wanted to get my hands on one of those. And I'd, I had been using distressors since the late nineties. So those had always been in place. So anyway, the point of this is around about 2007, I started working back analog into my workflow. And I noticed there was a noticeable change. There was stuff I was getting out of it that I didn't feel I was getting elsewhere. And it's just kind of stuck with me as my preferred method. Doesn't mean I have to do it, but it's just stuck with me as my preferred method where I'd have a little, have a little bit of both. Does that make sense? It does. Totally makes sense. When you mix records right now, do you mix in the mm -hmm. box or do you have a bunch of stuff at home that's sitting around and do oh. the same kind of thing? Yep. Now, what would I prefer? It's funny you mentioned that because I'm actually having to mix something right now <clears throat> and I just keep thinking, God, I wish I had anything analog I could use right now. All of my gear is sitting in Nashville. Even to this day um, where you can manufacture harmonic distortion and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Plugins. There's just, it, it's the same reason that keeps me using it live. If I can, there's just certain things that, and it might be placebo. I don't know what it is. I just, I don't know. It's just a results thing. So, but the reason I don't have that here at home is because I don't have, I just don't have the infrastructure here, you know? Um, the where I am was kind of a transitionary place anyway, while I was on tour for years and years and years. Sure. And I just haven't settled into a real like home studio setup that's conducive to it. So that, that being said, it's all in the box. Every, every the short answer is, is if you could, you would. Yeah. If I would could, I would. Got it. Because yeah. for me, I'm, I'm a little bit the opposite. I mean, I have a couple of analog pieces here, but, um, I, they're like almost never on, um, mm -hmm. You know, I am, I've kind of fully adopted the, the digital theory, especially nowadays um, with some plugin manufacturers that, that are making some harmonic distortion kind of plugins. And those were, that was kind of the only thing that I was missing from my equation. Um, you know, you mentioned that I, I have that, I have that Neve unit across my left and right, um, Although I will tell you that there's a, a new wave plugin that does spread that is almost as good or maybe even a little bit better than that unit. So I might even lose mm -hmm. that unit. Uh, and and which then, one's that? Is uh, that the Abbey Road mastering one? No, no, that's the, oh, the, the plugin version. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. The uh, TG, the blue right. one. God, yes. It's the, ma the, the master. I think it's, Abbey Road mastering, TG mastering, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. I and I even I made a um, a preset for it that um, man. I just throw it on there and it's great. Um, called mm. spread. Um, mm. Anyway, I think probably like I could get rid of that analog unit and and lose a step of of um, you know converting uh, because yeah. I now have that tool because before I didn't have you know the, I felt like that Neve there wasn't any plugin that did that same thing that the Neve thing did um, mm -hmm. as far as spreading my mix out, but um, that TG mastering does it really well. So mm -hmm. I may end up using that, which would mean that the only analog pieces that I'm really using are kind of effect things, mostly reverbs um, <clears throat> just because, you know, um, I still feel like, you know, there's nothing that kind of matches some of the reverbs out there and not even just Procasti, but like the TC 6,000 and the, um, even mm -hmm. old school, like Lexicon 44, you know, it, 224 and the, whatever the other 480, 480. Um, yeah. Um, even stuff that's from back then, 
um, mm-hmm. I feel like still beats most of the plugin reverbs out there. So I agree. Um, I agree. So those are, that's, that's my philosophy. Um, mm-hmm. but, but let me, I digress. Let me go back to tell you how I ended up here. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, I was, uh, always, uh, you know, started out in analog and, um, was a really hardcore for about 10 years was a hardcore, uh, minus XL4 user. Um, uh, I mixed all kinds of bands on XL4, Kiss, System of a Down, um, you know, a lot of rock bands, Smashing Pumpkins. Um, <clears throat> but my analog outboard gear was, my choices were a little bit eclectic. It wasn't like I wasn't choosing DBX 160. I was choosing some things that were way more studio. Um, mm-hmm. And I it was, it was almost every day, like pulling shit out of a rack and reseeding tubes. And you know, Oh, that's I like, had that with tube tech stuff. A lot of yeah. times it's like, yeah. Oh, that's not working today. Now I got to rip that out of here. I mean, it was like an everyday thing. I was definitely, I had some more fragile gear, you know, I would carry like four TLA two A's, you know, and, um, mm-hmm. you know, some, some tube stuff that, uh, I even had like a couple of Fairchilds, which were, you know, like stupid money compressors mm-hmm. I was dragging around, you know? Um, so I certainly, I was that guy, right? Like I was way into kind of eclectic uh, um, analog things. And certainly the XL4 had a, an amazing analog sound to it. Um, the turn for me was, you know, I, I did, um, the the kid I did a kid rock tour with that D five, um, mm-hmm. and that was because I lived the analog to digital change in studio land ten years before it happened in live sound land. So in studio land, I was the guy you know was Studer eight hundred tape machines. Um, I had a Neve 8078 that I worked on every day and, um, you know, some really nice outboard gear. And I was the guy that watched them roll in the Mitsubishi X850 32 track digital machine. That was the first, you know, this is 32 tracks of digital. Whoa. You know, and it was like a bunch of us standing Mm -hmm. around it going, wow, this thing's amazing. Um, so I, I lived that, I lived that change and it was a rough change from analog to digital in recording land. Um, and then to do it again, I started mixing live stuff, but live was like 10 years behind that. And Mm -hmm. so literally I lived the change again in, um, uh, in live sound. Um, and the first change for me was the, the D five, uh, which was somebody, I think somebody like getting into um, Bob Kid Rock's, you know, head and being like, oh, they have digital consoles now. You can do so much more, you know. And um, I think I was forced, like, kind of kicking, kicking, screaming to go there. I'm having a hard time remembering exactly how that all went down. But I do remember that it wasn't like really, I wasn't like, yep, let's adopt this new technology. I was like, yeah, okay we'll give it a shot and see how it goes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, um, you know, Digico's products are amazing today, but that particular product was, you know, in the very first parts of, uh, digital land and, mm-hmm. um, in, in live sound. And, um, we literally had a, a tech, we had Titus from Digico riding on our bus because the thing wouldn't start up every day. You know, I, I think I had like serial number 003 or something. Uh, it was brand new and I was like, okay, let's go. So anyway, long story short, that was my first foray into digital. And it was the only, it is still to this day, knock on wood, the only digital product that left me stranded for a show. Um, mm-hmm. It broke in the afternoon and we could not get it to work and we could not do a show. Mm-hmm. So, um, that was my first experience with digital and I went kick, I went running as fast as I could away from digital after that tour for mm-hmm. like three or four years. I think that was 2001 ish or something or 2002. I can't remember exactly. Um, it was right at the beginning of when digital was coming into, 
into play. Um, mm-hmm. And so then I went back to my XL4, back to all my gear, you know, all my stuff. Um, and then the um, Avid stuff came out. And uh, the first gig that I got when that stuff became available in 2007, 2006, 2007 uh, was Lincoln Park. And I did a bunch of research and found out that those guys were like all about Pro Tools. Like that's all they did when they made records was um, work with plugins and work with, um, you know, Avid products, Pro Tools. And so, um, you know, what turned out to be a really smart ploy by myself um, was, hey, I better Mm -hmm. learn this product and I'm going to use it because it's going to make them feel comfortable and them feel comfortable around me. Um, mm-hmm. and that was the initial reason that I chose that, that avid product. Um, and I went all in the box. Um, you know, I just said, okay, if I'm going to do it, I'm, let's do it. And they're giving me, you know, a couple of weeks for rehearsals or three weeks for rehearsals. I'm going to learn a brand new thing and let's go. Um, mm-hmm. I ran that way for, geez, six years or something. I was on that thing, uh, running t- completely in the box. Um, Mm -hmm. nothing analog, not even reverbs or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and that was, so that was, uh, long story short, that was my big switch. And I figured out a way, um, to get a good result by not going back to analog stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of have just like stuck with it. And now that the technology keeps improving, they keep bringing out newer plugins that are better and better and better and better. Um, Mm -hmm. I just keep going, okay, well, I don't really have a reason to go back Mm -hmm. to any of that eclectic analog gear. Uh, you know, I have versions of it in plugin land that I feel are pretty close and the overall, thing that I was missing from analog stuff, that warmth, that harmonic distortion, those kind of things are, there's now plugins that I use that I go, okay, now I'm getting there. Now I'm getting to that spot of things that I was missing. Um, and, uh, it just makes so much sense to me. Um, so it's, anyway, that's you know, how I'm here. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, no, I get it. Where it makes the most sense, as you know, <clears throat> is just on recallability. Yep. I mean, that's yep. the whole that's the whole thing, you know, is that's where it makes sense. And that's where ultimately, and as I watch my analog gear shrink, you know, I know which way my own tide is going. Like I see it, you know? Um, and it's been, God, we've been doing this thing for fucking months now and we're going to do it for months more, by <laughs> God. but, um, yes. it's, it was m- months ago, you know, we were talking about products that excite us. And I was talking about how I wanted to use native process plugins live. Yeah. And cause I can tell you, you know, in, in the, the, the two servers most readily available to us, waves, universal audio, there are certain things. This is just me personally. Sure there's this breed of saturation that I like that I cannot seem to get from either of those. There's just this thing that I can't get from either of them. I can get it. That's interesting. Cause you asked me, well, what about when you're mixing a record? Um, that I do really enjoy the, in the box process, even though at times, like literally today, I was like, I just want something analog. I was comparing it to another mix of the same band, similar material and I knew what the person used and whatever in my mind I'm like well that's what I need you know um I do enjoy the plethora of everythingness that's available mixing in the box but until it's easily readily available to us live it leaves me wanting you know and that's why I still have a few things like I'll even be honest with you even like my distressors which have been with me since the late 90s um God, this is sacrilege. I kind of don't give a shit. Like they're there cause I'm, I, they're there cause I'm used to them, yep. but I don't. And I know how to, I know a million different ways to set those things. I know what every movement of every knob does with them, but I kind of am not as enamored with them anymore. At this point, I just, I own them. They're part of my workflow. I can do that in the box, which is especially with like waves and UA and stuff, but it's just some saturation stuff that keeps me away from it. But in the, in terms of accountability, uh, recallability, man, it can't be beat. I remember seeing something with Tony Maserati years ago and he was talking about 
you know, the switch. Cause you know, famously he's gone in the box and Andrew Sheps has gone in the box. All these guys have gone in the box because they're being asked to do recalls all the yeah. time. And it's just insane to when you can do it one way to not do it, you know, to not do it the way that makes more sense. And particularly if they're working in different rooms yeah. from time to time. And I think that was Tony, Tony Maserati's thing is most of those guys work in the same room, but he's like, Hey, I got a few rooms. It's just way easier for me to do this. And um, so I, I see myself going that way. There's just a few pieces left that I just. I get it. Be Listen, so, you know, and, and that is an absolutely valid argument, right? I'll, I'll give you an example. So I, I went to go do Jay-Z. Um, it was during a time period when, um, you know, Toby Francis was really selling the analog summing thing, you know, um, mm-hmm. which he still believes in. And that, that's cool. Good for him. Um, but he, you know, he was all over social media going that, you know, I, we, this is what we have to do is, you know, analog sum right. everything, you know, make stems. And so I was like, you know what, I'll give it a shot, you know, because part of what I like doing is hearing what other people do. Like for instance, in this 33 hours of videos, there's a bunch of stuff that you've said where I'm like, Oh, when we get back to doing shows, I'm going to probably try that. You know? Yeah. Likewise. That guy, Likewise. you know, I'm right. just that guy that I'm like, Oh, okay. That sounds like a good idea. Let's try it. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, Toby was way on on that and I was like, okay, cool. I want to do it. So I got the Neve analog summer summing thing that he was all, you know, uh, happy about. Right. Um, uh, I had to get a, a stage rack at front of house, you know, to, to make all of the connections of all of that happen. I had to, mm-hmm. um, you know, assign all of make stems, assign them out, but also have a way in case that failed for everything to work. Um, yeah. and it was, I mean, it was a shitload of work, right? Like it was not just yep. something I set up in, you know, 30 minutes, this was like a couple of days of me going, okay, I can put that on the insert. And then if it fails, I can put it on a macro to get rid of it. You know, all of these things I had to think about, Mm -hmm. I get it all going. And then what I wanted to do was, uh, I I built a macro that without going into all the details, but I built a macro where I could a B between Mm -hmm. listening to it, analog summed and listening to it, not. Just, you know, the console itself summing. Um, mm. And I, uh, on some really good near fields with, uh, you know, Genelex or whatever, um, I'd poke the thing in and poke the thing out. And there was a difference. No question. I was like, mm. oh, okay, you know, this analog thing, it does give it some a little bit of warmth and, you know, whatever. But it was not enough for me to be like, mm-hmm. is this really worth all the stuff that I'm doing plus making all of this stuff be, could be failable and screw me mm-hmm. over. Cause I don't know about you, but I am just terrified of a gear failure in the yes. middle of the show. And I always, including network nowadays, I always have some sort of backup going on. Um, in case everything comes to a crashing halt, right? Mm-hmm. You know, basically mm-hmm. for me, the only thing that is not redundant in all of my gear is the actual snake itself. You know, if right. someone runs over the snake and cuts it, then that, you know, right. goes over. But in, in every mm-hmm. other way, there is some way for me to continue on and to have a show. Um, and so I looked at all of those connections and looked at all that stuff that was happening and went, is this is this it's not worth it it doesn't make it so much better mm-hmm. that i'm like I, I have to do this you know um to right. my ears that was that was what i came um you know and i had a bunch of people listen to it too you know my system guy i'm like check it out this is in and out and he's like well you know i mean and some people were able to choose which is which like a blind taste test. You know, some people were, would say, Oh, that, no, that's definitely the analog. And some people weren't like some people I would mm-hmm. do, you know, they were wrong. So I, I just got to a point where I was like, it's, I don't know if it's worth all that for the result that I'm getting. Um, especially because I subscribe to the, if you don't have two things, right. If you have, if, well, let's say you do have two things. If you have two things, 
let's say an analog console and a digital console. We can all sit here and AB between them. And I guarantee you that with an XL4 sitting there and a Quantum 7 sitting there, if we were just putting left and right through both of those, probably everybody in a blind taste test would choose the XL4, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the reason that we use the SD7 is exactly what you talked about earlier is all of the bells and whistles and all the choices that you can make. Now, mm-hmm. if you take the XL4 away and you're left with the Quantum, it's still, um, it's amazing, right? You're like, that mm-hmm. is an amazing sounding thing. So my point is, is that unless you have an A and a B, if you mm-hmm. take the A away and you're left mm-hmm. with something that's very good, the A doesn't matter anymore. You know right. I mean? So right. the choices that I've made to go in the box are, are mainly because of what you talked about, you know, everything having automation, no chances, you know, I don't have to have a stage rack in front of house to connect all of my connections, um, places to fail. Um, for me, I wasn't getting a, 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 that much of a better result. Um, but I know that you you do still have a couple of pieces of gear that you poke in and out of there, and you're like, yeah, it's still worth it, right? Right. Yeah. So, well, it's interesting. What, what, what you're saying, too, is like we all have our own personal level of is it worth itness, you know? <laughs> yes. Because Right? You know, and, and, and to, to your point, it's like there, there are so many points of failure, in yeah. front of house these days, monitor world, wherever there's just, and I look at, I mean, every new computer I see, I cringe totally. because I'm just like, God, what happens when it fails? You know, um, I have six Mac minis in front of house, you know, it's like, I don't know about you, but my laptop crashes every day. So that's what I'm I saying. <laughs> yeah. So e- exactly. It's scary, right? It's like, oh, right. You know, but, but like you got to realize too, like your, or we got to realize, everyone should realize the level at which you are saying it's not worth it is still a, like you're working in this percentile that is far above most people. And the reason I'm saying that is because there is literal evidence that people don't feel that way all the time. Just go look on social media. I saw a thread not too long ago and it was the thing we've been seeing for years. And it was like, do you think your plugins really matter? Do you think in a concrete room, they really matter this, that, that. And Uh I would argue, and I know you would argue too, that in this, and I say it this, I phrase it this way all the time. We have so much working against us. You've heard me say this a thousand times. We have so much working against us in live sound that every inch we can eek out every does matter every centimeter. right i totally right right and 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 if it didn't matter like if 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 like that plug-in is not going to do it then why when you play your reference cd does it sound thirty-seven thousand times better than your (laughs) fucking shitty mix you know what i'm saying it's because and and I, i realize you're probably playing a studio reference thing, but let's say you can mute your vocals. You can make your mix as isolated as whatever you want. You know, there's no, maybe aside from overheads, there's no real open source that can come through with your stock console, analog or digital. It's not going to sound as good because, and this is stuff that we talk about all the time. It's the art of those pieces, whether it be a plug-in, a plug-in emulation or the real thing, that's where the art happens and that's where the magic happens. So, you know, some people say this, it doesn't matter down to literally anything. You're saying it doesn't matter. You're saying, yes, there's an improvement, but I've got a million improvements around me. I think I can live without this one. And clocking can fall under that category too for a lot of people. Like I kind of went kicking and screaming into clocking and I got to be honest with you. If you were to say, Hey, you can't use a clock on this tour. I I wouldn't even begin to care, but I know it can make, it makes a huge difference. I know it does. I've done it too. Where I sit there and I've tried, we've shot them out and I've heard the differences in all of them. And it may, without a shadow of a doubt, can clocking make a difference for you? If I never had to, or never had the opportunity to use one again in live sound, I could care less. And I don't know why that is, you know? I get it. Um, and it, um, I think part of it, though, is, too, that we're not touching on is 
and, and this could be a problem for a, a newer mixer uh, that we always talk about. It's like, if you, if you don't know what sounds good, mm-hmm. how are you able to get a result that sounds good? Because you don't know what sounds good. So <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the reason that I'm saying that is, for example, both you and I come from analog world. We know what sounds good. I know what analog sounds like. Right. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I work and manipulate any of all of my plugins to get to the point where I go, okay, now we're getting close to what analog is, if not better than what Mm -hmm. I could achieve with an analog desk, for instance. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's only because I know what analog sounds like. Like if I didn't know what an XL4 sounded like, you might not be mm-hmm. able to get the same result in a in a total in the box situation. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. Uh, real quick, if I can jump in, I was mixing yeah. today on a fantastic console. Uh, yeah, world class console, right? But in this particular gig, it's all onboard. There's no there's no plugins. There's no nothing. And I can do it, but I don't enjoy it. And for instance, I, yeah, but you still thing, achieve, you still get there though. That's my point. You I do get, whatever I get it somewhere. Wow. Yes, I do. And where, right, 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 right. No, I hear you. And I appreciate that. And I know you would likewise, you know, but today this, this is what's uh, topical today. And I've tried this before. I'm listening to the whole thing and I'm like, man, just the whole thing just needs some love. It needs like a squeeze. It needs this. It needs that. <laughs> it just needs that thing on it, you know? And, um, and so I went to the onboard on the stereo bus. I go to the onboard thing and I set all the parameters the same on the compressor that you would set on any SSL, bus, API, whatever. Yeah. Right. Typical VCA, but I do all the same things on paper and maybe numerically to a T it's doing the exact same thing. And I knew what was going to happen. And as soon as I start digging, I'm just like, nope, nope, nope. Like not even close to what I, I want it. it to do. Yeah, I Is get it, it. You know? Yeah. And that's that moment of like, this shit does make a difference. But it depends on what it is. Now, if I had, and I'm not saying the only thing that would have done that for me was an analog piece of gear. There are a bazillion in one plugins that could have totally. done it. You know, so it's just, again, it's just choosing what you're cool with and what you're willing to, how many points of failure, blah, 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 you know. I mean, you know, part of this too is um, teaching an old dog new tricks. I mean, I, um, I've adopted the, uh, the full in the box thing um, and, and you haven't in a lot of ways, um, but part of that is because you there's some sort of warmth and some sort of happiness around using a piece of gear that you are familiar with you've used forever you know mm-hmm. what it sounds like you use it all the time um, yep. you know so you're you're kind of carrying that with you right you know um, and I I am the same way in plug-in land like I very rarely th- that's not true I I keep abreast absolutely totally of whatever the latest and greatest thing. Yeah. You're about. good about that. And I, mm-hmm. I absolutely, whatever the latest thing is, I download it, I check it out. I put it on all kinds of things and listen to it. But I will tell you just if I am dialing and smiling a, a gig, you know, or, um, you know, working in a production rehearsal, you will discover that I use the same plugins over and over and over again. And, 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 and same here. Yes. Usually, you know, plugins that are 10 years old. You know what I mean? They're right. like, these are ones that I know how they work. They know what they do. I keep using them. It's only only when I get to an input where I'm like, ah, I'm struggling with this input. I don't know what to do. That's when I start thinking outside of the box and going to whatever, you know, the latest thing is. Um, and then mm-hmm. by doing that, I end up using the latest thing and then I go, Oh, okay. This is part of my arsenal. Now I like this. I might choose this as my thing, right. you know? Um, right. So I guess what I'm saying is, and I don't want to put words in, in your mouth, but I mean, I, I feel like you're using pieces of gear that you've used for years and you just know what they do. And, and so it's easy, right? It is easy. And it's yeah. all about getting the results quick, you right. know? Um, 
And then like I talk about these pieces of hardware, it's funny when we talk about recallability, it is harder to recall via analog, but it's like, I use the same settings. Like I know exactly, you know what I mean? Yeah. I know exactly where to dial that. And again, this is harping on something, a topic we talk about a lot is like, because my gain structure is always the same on all these different, any number of consoles, that means it hits these processors the same way. That means they end up being set at the same way. And so it's just, it's quick. You know, it's just all quick my for plugins for like output buses and for uh-huh. master bus and all that stuff. They're all saved. Like I don't ever, mm-hmm. almost never would I on uh, my mix bus dynamics uh, have them unsafe and do snapshot recallability on any of them. So right. I, I'm right there with you. It's like, you know, I'm doing the same thing that you are, but in plugin land. Um, and that's pretty much true for my output bus dynamics as well. Um, mm-hmm. most of those, unless I have a really weird situation, uh, almost all of those are safe as well. Um, the only dynamics that usually change for me are input dynamics. Um, and those change per song. Um, sometimes not like mm-hmm. all the time. I think, yeah. um, when I first start out, when I build a mix, like all my plugins are in safe and I'm mm-hmm. storing information that's changing um, and then if I reach over and I have to adjust an input plugin for a particular song, I then take that plugin out of safe now because mm-hmm. it's been stored in the 22 snapshots as the same. And now mm-hmm. I have that one song that's different. So now I can take it out of safe and get it to, you know, to change. So I- I'm doing yep. the same thing that you are just in the box. Yeah. You know, here's another just, admission um i have not <laughs> like we're, yeah. we're we're seeing the priest today yeah really i know yeah right yeah we're never going back to work i can tell all this shit it doesn't matter um i uh it's still all the secrets we don't have pooch and raybold like 112 is just going to be two skeletons sitting there just rotting um I, uh, so I don't have a, I have had lots of analog gear over the years and then I've sold lots of analog gear. I mean, I've, I've gone back and forth between what I like and, or I've stuck with what I like and then I've let other new things come in and then I get rid of it. Life happens or I don't need it or whatever. I need some cash. I need, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm over it. But what I'm getting at here is I do have enough of an investment that can provide a return on that investment. Sure. It plays a key role in me using some of this stuff time and time again. Because you're getting the rental fee for using that stuff. Because right? I'm getting the rental fee. For, right. I mean, I'm not doing it to a point to where, you know, it's not some devious thing where the show is suffering. If anything, the show is succeeding because of. Yeah, cool. But, but that's a thing. I mean, it's a thing. a thing. You own way more gear than I do. It's a thing. It's like, it's it's part of my arsenal. Like, I talk about the distressors. I'm like... Yes, but no. Nowadays, with them, I could get it and plug them. I'm like, well, I own them. They're going in the rack, and this is what they cost a week. You know what yeah. I mean? No, that's and right. So, so, so that, so that's very real. That's a big part. I of mean, it. it brings up the point that I've always said, which is, you know, hey, I spend a lot of money on plugin licenses, man. You know, why mm-hmm. I should be able to charge for those? But that never ended up into the whatever the sales spectrum of <laughs> what people pay for. I you know. know? Um, uh, I've seen it show up in a couple of uh, itemized, you know, sheets by some sound companies where they try to get a, you know, a line item of, you know, yeah. Waves Mercury bundle or whatever. But and they should, they should. That's what should. that's what I'm saying is that you know, yes. I mean, my initial expense, I bought a Waves Mercury bundle in 2006, and it was fourteen thousand dollars. It's like yeah. I should have. Uh, it was a, uh, sorry, it was Waves Mercury and SSL bundle. Uh, so it was mm-hmm. the Neve, the SSL, and all the Mercury plugins was for $14,000. So come on, man. I mean, that's a big investment. I should have been getting rental on that, and I didn't get dime one for it. Um, yeah. But what I did bring was now an arsenal of stuff um, to my game that a lot of people, uh, other people didn't have. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I was like, this is an investment to be able to 
um, you know, uh, compete against um, other engineers. And now I have a bunch of tools that I can fucking kick ass. Um, so it, was, it right. was worth it. Like the investment was worth it. But that I'm saying the same thing that you are. It's like we should be able to charge for that shit. Yeah. If it costs money, it costs, yeah. I mean, what the fuck? You know, it costs money. <laughs> we should no, be able no, to charge right. for it. Well, um, here's a question for you. How often do mm-hmm. you um, purchase either a new analog unit or how does that happen for you? So, for instance, for me, in the, since I mix mostly in the box, my thing is, you know, on Tuesdays when Waves releases the next plugin, I go and get it on Wave Central and go check it out because mm-hmm. it's part of my bundle. So I am like uh, on top of mm-hmm. what's new in plugin land. How do you keep on top of analog or do you? I do. And, and ironically, I stay in, involved in plugin world too. But again, until, and that's when you will see the change. When, when this whole native process thing becomes easy, I'll keep a few things if I can, but that's when you'll see my big racks go away. Um, uh, And is that, is that purely you're saying that because you can't find in either waves or United or, Mm -hmm. or universal, sorry. um, You can't find in one of those in some things that you have an analog, but eventually there's some things I can't find. It's really just this, my preferred version of, distortion um and again i know people are hearing this everywhere and they're like go to the j37 and drive the input or they've got there you're <laughs> like you don't yeah, just, i know it doesn't Everybody's matter there's just i know what i like and i yeah, know i can course. find it in other places you know but with those two i just i struggle or i can get it but like why do i want to do good enough if i'm if i'm fortunate enough to do tours that allow me and i don't get me wrong when i go pick up a gig here or there there's none of my hardware. No one's yeah, right. shipping my rack for a one-off with somebody I just signed. I mean, I'm doing whatever I got to yeah, do. Yeah, I mean, let's let's make it clear, guys. It's not like, you know, uh, Chris is running around with every dynamic processor is, yeah. you know, off war. You know, you're carrying around like, what? I don't know, four pieces yeah. of gear or something? Right. Well, yeah. as, far, as far as analog? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. I'm just Nowadays, saying that you're, you know, you yeah. are a guy that mixes in the box, really. But yeah. you, you you have a few outboard pieces that you enjoy and can't find the analog yeah. version or and the, it's, the plug-in version of it. Exactly. And I tell you what's so funny, and I'm going to answer your question in just a second, how I stay on top of analog okay. gear. Um, when I went a few weeks ago, when I had a gig, um, <laughs> my and it was all in the box, I'm so predictable, man. It's always the same thing. It's rhythm section and vocals that I immediately give the frou-frou stuff to whether it be analog or plug-in like when i made my i've got to have it super act file for that gig it was all rhythm section it's drums bass and vocals and then everything else i'll do what i can on the desk and then i will choose to employ something else so and it's and it's still that way now it used to be where I'd have a lot more analog stuff for guitars and stuff. And as time has gone on, I've kind of drifted away from it. But um, as far as wh- how I stay on top of stuff, I just pay attention to, well, first of all, I know what I like. And then I watch the boutique stuff come up and I watch the online forums to a degree. I'll look at gear sluts or I, not nearly as much as I used to or whatever else is going on. Or I'll look at YouTube. I'll just see and you can watch what's flavor of the month and you see it tail off. And then you, you can just tell by the way people are talking about it, what something is. And then you start listening to, if you listen to some of your studio peers, when, if it keeps coming up, basically I just wait till I see something that sticks around. You know what I mean? And at most what I've done, like this year, I think I've mentioned it on here. This year was going to be a big year for me because I was going to attempt really attempt to AB everything that appeals to me analog wise on the stereo bus. And I had it all slated to come to rehearsals for me and then COVID happened and forget it. So, but, and like, I've got a thing too, where I've got this weird thing where it's like, yeah, I use a lot of outboard gear still, but like I rarely exceed, I try to keep it all within this little space. I try to keep as many single rack spaces stuff as I can. I try not to employ a lot of three and four rack stuff, space stuff. Like I've got this kind of like, I don't know, I've got a Lexus, but I don't have a 
Bentley. You know what I'm saying? Totally. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I try to keep it real within, do I really need that EAR compressor to be on the road for me for my base? No, I do not. You know? So anyway, I just pay attention. And if it really gets my, like, Kush audio, when it came out a few <laughs> years ago, when he started, uh, 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 what's the word, Chris? Modifying the, the Fatso from Empirical Labs. I was like, okay, that's neat. That's cool. You know, and that made an impression. Or I always talk about my friend Jeff Terzo with Overstayer. That stuff made an impression on me. I read about it for a few years, then started demoing it, and it made an impression. As I've spoken to you today, I keep thinking about his stuff because it's left such a big mark on me. So I just, I just pay attention, you know, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, but uh, you have brought up a, a really good point in that, um, you, you know, we've, we've talked on here a bunch of times about how, um, simpler is better. And if you, at least from my perspective, I'm always evaluating whether or not something needs something, right? Like, so I'm on the, you know, the base input channel and I don't immediately go, well, this needs an 1176 and it needs a, you know, blah, 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 blah. Oh, we need a real base on this. We need, you know, <clears throat> the, that's not my go-to. My go-to is, is I bring the input up, I listen to it, I high, high pass a little bit of it up, maybe low pass a little bit of it up, listen to it and go, does this really need anything? It probably sounds pretty good just how it is. So mm-hmm. in that way, we, you are also evaluating that with your, your analog choices and the ones that you bring so that the ones that you are bringing are the ones that you're like, yeah, these really make a difference. And so they're specialty items, right? Right. Right. You know, it's funny too. Like you, um, you're talking about, you bring an input up and you just, you assess it, you know, you look at it and it's, it kind of depends on like, what are we using this stuff for? Like, for instance, like, let's say, you know, where you're doing a tour and you've got a bunch of, uh, it's got, you've got a bunch of guitars, but let's be specific. They are high gain, high watt, not the company, but high wattage, you know, amplifiers. Yeah. You know, like those things are, pegged they're pegged there's no dynamic range there's like maybe that 3db thing so then you decide what do i want to do with that 3db because that 3db might drive you crazy you know i know you know what i'm talking about because you do way more guitar based stuff than i do these days um or have ever but i still do enough of it where i'm like when we're playing within those margins that 3db is like it matters. But and then that's yeah. fun. That's when you get to have fun with gear. Cause I, you can be like, Oh, I can do this and I can do that. And I can, or you can compress it past the three DB that it needs. And then you create something different. Yep. You know, that's when playing with gear is really fun. Now, when you start getting inputs that are just wildly erratic, then you're like, shit, this thing's going to need, need eight DB of compression is my onboard comp does it do 8 dB of compression well, or do I need something that handles that better? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's two different versions, what you just talked about, you know, there's cleanup, there's, oh my God, I need to get this input into check. I need to, Mm -hmm. this is so erratic that it's not going to work. So that is like uh, damage control um, outboard dynamic um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, how can I make this thing that already sounds really great, super great by, you know, making a choice that, that makes it great. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, you know, those are two different schools of, of thought and two different tools, you know, um, you're right. When you start getting into something that where you're trying to do eight DB of compression, uh, or more, there aren't a lot of them that handle it well. No. Uh, even so. today I was, I was listening to in that mix I was doing, there's this, this vocalist, she's a younger girl and, uh, she's phenomenal, but she does the whisper to a scream. Yeah. And as soon as that, that again, this world-class console is asked to do past a certain amount of gain reduction, I'm hearing, I'm hearing the high end, like sneak around it, no matter, yeah. even though it's in it. Yeah. Somehow the high and I and I know what I'm hearing. And I'm like, man, that's just shitty compression is what that is, <laughs> you know? And I've always said, and I mentioned that 3DB. 3DB is a big thing in audio. 3DB is the thing where if somebody looks at you and says up, 
if you give them three, they're going to, everyone's going to hear three, you know, three is this big, three matters in so many different ways. Three is also what I will trust a lot of subpar compressors or onboard compressors where I'm like, okay, I'll give you three. You can handle three, big boy. (laughs) Go for three. But past that, man, that's what kind of seems to separate, you know, compression to me. Or what's acceptable and or at what point the tone just goes crazy and the attack and release to the time constants just kind of don't mean anything anymore or, you know, um, so I don't know. It's something to think about. And I guess everything we're talking about here is just having a, we know what our goals are or we know what's acceptable and what's not. We know how our gear works. We know how, we know how far we can push certain gear and at what point we go, okay, you need help, you know? You, I think you, you have to else. you have to have a vision as a mixer you have to have a vision of what you're shooting for right so mm-hmm. um for me that is from years of experience of you know hey I know what I know what an 1176 sounds like when you really nail the thing you know it has a timbre mm-hmm. change when you get into 8 dB a compression of an yes. 1176 it's got a timbre change that I utilize to make something sound better it's got a harmonic distortion growl thing that happens when you really nail it that's um, and that's a fun change yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 right so um I I can't stress enough to people, you know, newer mixers to spend a bunch of time, you know, um, doing ear training and listening to, you know, hitting plugins, hitting analog gear at different, you know, volumes to see what the harmonic distortion, what the timbre changes, all that. Because I have that knowledge without, it's just part of my toolkit. And if you hadn't, Mm -hmm spent the time or had the um, experience to know that, then you don't, that's not part of your toolkit. You didn't know that that 1176 does that when you hit it at ATB. Um, and then mm-hmm. I say, oh, well, that bass guitar, man, that's what it needs is that growl. I'm going to use the 1176, you know? Um, so those are mm-hmm. that, I, I can't stress to you enough to spend a bunch of time like listening to things um, to, to ear train yourself and to learn about what things do. Um, you know, I always tell people whenever the latest plugin comes out, I purposely like throw it to its extremes just to Mm -hmm. see what it does and how it changes and you know, whatever. Um, and I used to do that with analog gear too, man. I'd take a, you know, LA two a and turn the threshold all the way up just to see, you know, what it does to the vocal when it's squashing it, when the, you know, the view beaters just pinned. Right. What does that sound like? You know? Right. So, um, you know, this is making me think too, there's a, you and I, you know, we hearken back to our experience or coming up or the stuff we used to use, which now we emulate. And that then becomes also kind of our goal or our gold standard as we're thinking back. Um, to some of the, to some of the stuff that we came up with, it's revered now, but maybe isn't practical to use a lot of analog stuff to tape, blah, 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 blah. The fact of the matter is then there is the modern era young mixer too. That's just been mixing in, you know, garage band logic, Ableton, blah, 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 in their bed on headphones. And they have an interesting way of mixing too. Uh, and I can't, God, as, as open as we are with language here, I can't even use the description that was given to me on what these people do with these plugins. But this buddy of mine, who's a big time engineer yeah. in LA was talking about what he sees when guys come in with a lot of like super hot producers, they come in and basically this is what they do. They come in with every plugin that you can imagine and every parameter is maxed. And that's the thing and everything's in the red and it's just there's no like what does it need it's just and that's the sound you know and 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 like and that's just the evolution by the way and and they do you know you wonder where that width comes from it's like it's from taking it to the extreme you know to doing all these things and there is art in that i mean there is uh there's no wrong way to do this right like we always talk about that it's like you know if you Mm -hmm. get a result that you're happy with i don't give a shit how you got there it doesn't matter to me right um and 
just because we go, we keep talking about, you know, the simpler, the better, the, the simpler, the path, the, the cleaner it's going to sound, you know, all those things are important, but still I've watched guys that have the eight plugins on every single channel and whatever, and still get a good result out of it somehow. I don't work that it way. It still works. But it, it, right. it works, you know? I think all the time about this video I saw, and it was about parallel compression. And, and I feel very, 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 very confident in everything that I know about parallel compression. Um, from just from studying over the years yeah. and trying and understanding conceptually what it is. But I will, like I've said it on here before, I'm, I will go on YouTube and have a 19-year-old kid tell me how to EQ a snare drum. Like I just, I'll do it. And then a lot of times you're like, fuck, man, that sounds really good, you know. But I watched this dude one time take an API 2500. Uh, it was the Waves version. And he just obliterated it. But what was so crazy was his description of all of the settings on the thing. Yeah. He could not have been any more wrong in everything <laughs> he was saying about what that what the different uh, what modes the knobs did. did. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> what the, like it could not have been more wrong about everything. Right. It sounded great. And I to the, I I mean this must have been maybe five, six, seven years ago that I saw this. And I think about it all the time. His end result was great. And he was so wrong in how he said he got there, but it didn't matter. Didn't matter. You know what I mean? Dude, the guy standing there with the 40 ounce beer and the hot dog mm -hmm. doesn't give mm -hmm. a fuck that your 2,500 <laughs> is right. you know, sitting there in clip the whole time. Uh -uh. What he cares about is whether it sounds good or not. He's not going to know that that's happening. So, you know, yep. It's like, if you yeah. get there, get there however you want to get there. You know, we're just suggesting some ways that we get there. Um, right. There, you know, I mean, come on. There's um, great sounding mixers out there that do things completely opposite the way that I do. Yep. Um, yep. So. Uh, and, you know, I'll say this, I, I, coming up short on time, there is something exciting about hitting – your stride in your career or it your let's say your company your club your whatever when you have the opportunity to upgrade yeah. and that that feeling of the fun of getting the new gear and getting the new stuff and i don't want to ever shit on that for anyone like that's fine like if you suddenly out of nowhere have the ability to because i see it and i'll see young mixers go out and next thing you know they've got this huge rack of gear you know what I mean? And it's all flavor of the month stuff and, and, uh, or stuff that, you know, is tried and true, but with all this other stuff. And I'm just like, I know where they are. I get it. I feel you, you know, you've, you've oh. got the ability to go do all this. So like, go do that, go do all that stuff. And in the end, you'll figure out what you really need. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think everybody develops their own kind of workflow and, and how they do stuff. You know, uh, I, I say this all the time. It's like, I'm not, I didn't make any of this shit up. Like I'm not that smart. Um, I watched no. some of the best engineers in the world do it. And, and so I just went, they do it that way. I'm doing it that way. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and it seems it worked for me, but uh, you know, um, I, later on I figure out why, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but mm -hmm. I, I would say early on in my career, I just started, you know, miking guitars the way that Bruce Verdeen mics guitars, just because that's how Bruce Verdeen mics guitars. So I'm right. going to do that. But later on, mm -hmm. I figured out why he puts the microphone, you know, 57 and splits the dust cap. I mean, that's like his, that's his thing. And I figured out by moving around my own microphone and figuring out why it sounds that way. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of things that I do to this day are things that I learned early on in my career by watching someone else do. Um, and I, it just doesn't make sense for me to change that because everything's working for me. So, right. Right. Um, but, um, well, I think we're, um, we have, uh, come up on our time here. Um, guys, thank you for coming, um, and spending some time with us. Uh, we enjoy, uh, having a little reprise every week to just talk about audio. Um, 
we enjoy it. Um, and hey, listen, don't forget to go to nam.org and yes. um, go and tell all of the politicians about the Restart Act uh, and uh, trying to get us some funding um, because it sure doesn't look like we're going to work anytime soon. Um, so, uh, you know, the PPA, the, the paycheck, and also the uh, Restart Act that's going to give, um, you know, loan additional loans to small businesses. Um, those are all important. Otherwise, we're going to lose all of these uh, industries. So, um, please, please support all that and, uh, tell your local politicians to, uh, to vote yes for that. Um, so, Absolutely. Uh, thanks for coming. Um, and you got anything else left to say there, Chris? No, I'll tell you what, speaking of things that are going to be a while, but that are coming, which yep. is the end of this whole mess, you know, yep. but it's going to be a second. Um, guys, hang, hang with us for a bit. Cause a lot of this stuff that we're talking about, Yes, we have plans of showing you exactly what we're talking about. Um, And you'll see that in due time. So hang with us. I love just pontificating about this, and I can do this all day long, but we've got plans to show you some of what this looks like and exactly what this sounds like. So there's a little teaser dropped for you. Um, you might, you might <laughs> not watch sense. episode 33 until March of 2021. <laughs> However, if you're keeping up guys, hang with us, hang with yeah, us. Yeah. I mean, you know, the point is, is that we really enjoy this. Uh, you and I just kind of in an informal situation talking about audio. Um, but we are, you know, there's a lot of things that we talk about where you guys, your feedback from you guys is, that's great that you're talking about it, but we need to hear it and see it. And so we will be, we'll be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. We hear you in saying that. So we just do. hang on, hang on. Yep. It's coming. Yep. All right, guys, yep. thanks for coming. Episode 33 in the books. Talk to you guys soon. Take care. Be safe. Wear a mask. Wear a mask y'all. See ya. See ya. See ya.